Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Reismandel. My name is Jennifer Waits. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here. We're talking about college radio in Canada, which they call Campus, Campus. Community Radio. Yes, it's and it, it so it, it kind of spans a lot of what we think of college and community radio here in the United States, but it's also different. However, the reason we're talking about it today is because in the very near future, in 2019, the whole system might change radically overnight. And that is something we want to learn more about because to see about half the stations in Canada all of a sudden see their funding change radically, that's huge, but it mirrors things that happen here in the U.S. and around the world to stations every day and every year, and we need to learn more. And that's why we're talking to Barry Rook today. He knows all about campus and community radio in Canada and is going to fill us in on what is happening and why. Yeah, such a fun thing for Radio Survivor. We love college radio. We love community radio uh, around the globe. But to find out that there was for us a little bit of um, a blank spot into how campus radio is done in, in Canada. Today we're talking to Barry Rook, the National Campus and Community Radio Association's Executive Director Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's uh, finally stopped snowing up here for the first time in like four months. So I'm glad to be uh, being able to chat. And I'm a little jealous that it's probably not as cold down there as it is here. No, but spring spring is around the corner in uh, North America. It's true. It is. Yes, there's a, a cluster of tulips on my street. So spring is definitely in the air in San Francisco for sure. So Barry, we... We reached out to you initially because there's a bit of controversy afoot in Ontario where there's some major financial cuts that could be coming down on campus community radio stations. Can you tell us what's happening and why? Uh, the why is is an interesting angle. Uh, the why is that there's a, a change in government that happened about a year ago and the conservative government that has, has moved into place a little more right wing leaning has decided that uh, there is a huge deficit and they're going to find ways in order to cut it in all sorts of angles Uh, and one of those ways is uh, related around education at the college and university level Um, and part of their goals were to try to make things more fair and open for individuals to have choices which sounds like a great example but uh, information is often needed to make those choices and uh, unfortunately from that standpoint uh, some of the information that people uh, don't have access to around what community media and uh, other organizations on campus offer uh, is not available to them so those choices are potentially causing uh, cuts happening. So the the basic information is that right now campus uh, media and a whole bunch of other campus programs that are run independently from the university receive student fees. When you sign up for your programs, uh, you also pay a handful of different fees, uh, walk safe programs, bus passes, athletics, as well as various small clubs, community medias, the student associations, all of those sort of things. Well, the provincial government here decided that uh, they wanted the students to have the choice in which they're paying for in those angles, um, have deemed a handful of those payment options as mandatory. So uh, your sports are, are covered, your bus passes are covered, anything health related is covered, which leaves a small slice of pie for student associations and some clubs uh, that is essentially put on the chopping blocks for uh, students to decide whether they want to opt to pay those fees or not. And those fees are what goes towards paying anywhere between, uh, on average, it's about 65 to 85% of the costs for campus radio stations. Wow, and and so as a student, how much would that fee be? Like if I decided I wanted to opt out of that fee, how much would I be saving on my college bill? Yeah, per semester it ranges depending on uh, which university or college you're affiliated or associated with because they were all put into process through sort of the democratic elected process. 
um, majority decisions and then everybody kind of gets applied to it. So it can range anywhere from a coffee to uh, a large beer, essentially. So four two, two to four dollars or all the way up to about seven or eight dollars uh, per student per semester, depending on, again, what university or college they're in and depending on if they're an undergrad or a graduate. And is that that money go is, is the the portion that would go to the radio station specifically, or is that uh, across the board for a whole uh, pile of different services and and activities? So that those numbers there are specific to the radio okay. stations, and they vary depending on uh, the other costs and services. So um, part of the reason that the government made this discussion was some universities had these auxiliary fees upwards of $1,500 to $2,000. And that's covering, again, health, transit passes, access to athletic facilities, and they wanted to offer the students the opportunity to not pay for what they're not using. Mm. And it's resulted in a handful of very specific and isolated services um, that are often not as well known um, being put on the cutting blocks because they haven't been deemed mandatory. And we've been uh, lobbying the process to say, well, community media, the, the radio stations as well as the print, should be mandatory because of a handful of different reasons, including emergency broadcasting. And what, what are the other mandatory fees that, like what, would, what else would be in that category that's currently mandatory? It's really athletics, anything that's health related and transit like bus passes, that if you don't have everybody paying into that pool, the service as a whole would be too expensive for individuals to be able to, to pay for on their own. And Barry Rook, you're you're describing um, what what is a, a proposal or is how close is this to passing into into uh, reality? So this was one of uh, the three things around college and university changes to fees. There was also a uh, a cut to uh, the cost for tuition. There, so there's a, a 10% cut on the cost of tuition applied to this, which um, upfront sounds kind of good, but if you dig a little deeper, those costs have to be saved somewhere else um, by the, the institutions themselves. Um, and there's also uh, some funding regarding the, um, the loan process that's in place as well and some changes. All of these are set to initiate and start in the fall semester of 2019 and it's currently in the process of legislation going through um, whereas the conservative government does hold a majority so it's expected to pass without having trouble in that process and you'll forgive me but i think my listeners uh, here at radio survivor are probably more um in the united states so outside of canada what what are we talking about we're talking about um canadian campus radio Yes. Yeah. Essentially across Canadian, the entire no, about across Ontario. the province. Yeah. Just yeah. the province, because each of the education is provincial um, and it doesn't necessarily cross over. However, um, the model and the types of cuts that are happening now at the provincial level in Ontario are being eyed by a couple of other premiers in other provinces. So we have members in Alberta, for example, who are concerned because their uh, expected elected officials coming in under the next election have also proposed similar actions. And how many stations does this impact? How many campus radio stations are there in the province of Ontario? So right now, this uh, we have 19 members of our own that are going to be impacted with this process. There's about 25 to 26 or so uh, stations or clubs, because not all radio stations have a AM or an FM license. They may be just broadcasting online. Uh, so there's other sort of radio clubs that are often associated with uh, student involvement or community involvement and overall this is about half of all campus radio stations um, in the entire country and our our campus wow. is your college so the, those are sort of interchangeable terms that change at the border okay got it that that's amazing to me that this is potentially half of all of the campus community radio stations in Canada who are affected by this so what what is everyone doing 
I'm assuming people are quite upset about this if you're at a campus community radio station. So what, what is, what's happening right now as far as I'm, I assume there are protests? Yeah, um, not, not just for the, the campus community radio side of things, uh, for the whole process. Um, it's seen by most people on campus who have uh, either a political affiliation or uh, lean towards something that's a little more social uh, when it comes to how they, they operate and how they view the world should be working. They're, they're pretty unhappy with it. Um, and of course, you do have individuals on campus who, again, follow the premise that if I don't use it, why should I be paying for it? Understand that as well. So you've got kind of that that going on in the, in the process that's happening uh, overall. And so what if these fees go away, what's going to happen to these stations? So the stations themselves, uh, we're having an emergency meeting uh, in another week or so. And part of that meeting is one, the lobbying and the awareness that we're doing uh, to answer your earlier question. And that's um, right now there's a, a petition that's happening going around, which we're getting physical signatures uh, with the hope to be able to designate uh, the campus stations as a, um, as a mandatory fee in the process. Uh, so that's the main work that the, the stations are doing right now. Um, the sort of secondary is awareness of the value of the stations themselves because it will come down to an individual decision to opt in or opt out. So we're, uh, the stations are actively involved in trying to get their listenership and trying to get potential students who are coming into the system to be aware of what they're paying for and that the work that they do is, is very uh, important. We don't know oh, got it. what those so you're saying levels if this are. So you're saying yeah. if this goes through, stations are going to have to really advocate for why people should opt into those fees. Yeah, and imagine yeah. trying to, to reach a, a 17 or an 18-year-old who's coming into college or university who they sit down, they register for their classes, and suddenly there's a, a list of, you know, here's free money on the table that I don't have to spend, and what is radio? Why do I need to be supporting radio? Radio is a dead medium. I listen to my Spotify or YouTube, uh, uncheck right. and go forward with that, yet the stations themselves are way more integrated into the communities and are not just radio stations. They are community hubs for various different broadcasting uh, groups for local groups on the air, for musicians, for the student groups themselves. There's integration into the, um, the actual academic work that's being done where people are going on the air in order to uh, get credits as opposed to writing essays. And a handful of the stations are uh, former instructional stations. So the students that go on are learning to become broadcasters or journalists as well. And it's some of the largest publicity for these schools as well, <laughs> if oh, they're on the terrestrial airwaves. And and they're, they are independent organizations that run from an independent body, not connected with the ownership of the, the university itself. So they mm. are directly separated. And here in Canada, you can't sell licenses in this classification. It can only be applied for and then returned or pulled from you if you've done something wrong. So there is no um, value of selling a license from the university or college perspective. All they can use it for is uh, supporting these groups to make a positive impact on the community. That's the voice of Barry Rook. He's the executive director of the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Uh, and we're talking about a threat to um, the what is essentially college radio in Canada. It's called Campus Community Radio uh, in the province of Ontario uh, coming down in uh, for the fall of 2019. And Barry, it's, I, like, I like this. Uh, you're listening to Radio Survivor, and we here on Radio Survivor um, are very intimately familiar, I think, with how uh, college radio, as we call it in the United States, works or what it is, or at least we try to help spread the word about what it is and how it works here on Radio Survivor, especially uh, via the work of Jennifer Waits. I, th I think maybe it might be time to talk about what Canada has and like what makes it special and also how it's similar to what we have here in the United States. 
Sure. The, um, the, the, the basic thing is that there's a handful of classifications of radio and broadcast on AM or FM. Um, we, we operate under what's called the three pillars of broadcasting, essentially, and that's uh, under our Broadcasting Act, which is currently up for debate and discussion. Um, and what that sort of leads is you've got your commercial broadcasters who are there to make money. You've got your public broadcaster, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation or Radio Canada in Quebec. Uh, and then you've got this classification of campus and or community radio stations, uh, which are not for profit radio stations owned and operated by um, their own independent uh, board of directors. They're often affiliated with a college if it's a campus station and receives some funding or if they're a community station, sometimes they're with community groups or an indigenous uh, band or they are operating as a cooperative um, and it really kind of uh, sets themselves apart from everybody else. But their designation is really to be for the community, by the community, not doing what other broadcasters in the region are doing that's right sort and, of their and mandate you, and that's not dissimilar to the united states where we have community radio but it sounds like in canada it might have been more uh intentionally legislated uh do these community stations fundraise on the air like they do here in the united states yeah a, a lot of them do uh, when you're talking campus radio they do rely heavily on the uh, student fees because they're that was their support so that's why there's a major concern around this yeah. however some stations are extremely integrated into the community when you talk campus stations um, some are on a campus and are almost all community operated meaning that they will generate between two hundred and four hundred thousand dollars in revenue from membership or fundraising drives themselves. They do sell advertising both oh. on campus and community stations have the ability to sell advertising in competition with commercial radio. Our public broadcaster does not sell advertising except online. Oh, interesting. I, I want to back up to to something you mentioned earlier about how campus community radio stations, the license, I believe, cannot be held by the college. So mm -hmm. if that's correct, that's that's a big difference from the United States where we think of perhaps the majority of FCC licensed college radio stations, the license is held by the college. And and it's more it's more unusual for an outside nonprofit to hold the license. And and there are stations where that is the case in the United States, but it's it's more the exception. So it's interesting to me that that is the way campus community radio was realized from the beginning in Canada. Do you do you know why that is? Why why campuses why universities are not the holders of the license? Yeah, there was an interesting uh, process what happened around the early 70s. That's when uh, community organizations um, and university groups started to sort of explore the idea of having their own independent radio station. And what ended up happening is when the license class was designated, um, there was a, a mix of uh, the ownership was put into place fearing that the universities themselves would see this as their ownership as opposed to the ownership of the people who are using the airwaves. So the, the, the fundamental um, difference, I believe, when it comes to uh, broadcasting in Canada is that the airwaves are viewed as a public good. So our CRTC, which is your FCC, is essentially there to regulate the airwaves to make sure that the public as a whole is getting the best benefit out of the limited spectrum that's available. And it was decided at one point through legislation way back when that having a place for voices that are not normally heard on the broadcasting spectrum is extremely important. So when that classification came through, the answer was, well, we're afraid that the universities as a institution would have a voice as opposed to the students and the staff and the communities that are on the university in having that voice. So they made that designation to keep those two separate. And that's, that's how that process works. And then now flashing forward, thinking about these fees that come from student fees, 
Is that then a bit of a downside to having student fees? Maybe if you could talk about what are the downsides of having these student fees, you know, because now we're seeing a situation where it really puts the stations at risk. Right, because we're talking about these fees because uh, the government there in Ontario and Canada is proposing to uh, allow students to opt out of paying them, which means that the, 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 the life's blood of these stations is put into the hands of the decisions of, of, of young people who might not understand yet. They might not have had the opportunity to find out what the station is before they're being asked uh, to pay their their share of, of for keeping it on the air. Their share, which uh, Barry you described, is about four to eight dollars, depending on the school. Yeah, per, and, per student and it, per it, semester. And it really is that where um, the the students have that 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 knowledge to learn, and it, it's understood that some students don't necessarily. Uh, view it as a, a valuable or an important source. And that's why that this discussion has been sort of been put up as well. Is there a downside to having the system in place where student fees are funding a radio station? So, so the main downside is exactly what we're concerned about is that uh, there's a heavily reliant on student fees, even though student fees are maybe disproportionate to the number of students that are on some of these programming, right? Are the students subsidizing a radio station that isn't truly that of the university or the community that it involves with? So some of the stations, again, are receiving 80% of their revenue to run the station, but are only having integration and uh, programming done by 20% students. The other 80% is by community members. So they're essentially paying, the students are paying for uh, the community to have access to the airwaves instead wow. of what the decision was. Whereas the community radio stations themselves are much more operated um, in a sense of membership, advertising, and so on. So there is that's sort of the big, big challenge um, that comes is comes that, out of that. Is that a bit of a wake-up call for people right now? If If this goes forward, I would assume that this adds more pressure to thinking about are we serving the students who are funding our radio station? And the stations that are doing that are the ones that we expect are going to come out better, obviously. The stations that have been that one that's hiding in a basement underneath a hall somewhere who quietly collects money in the corner and says, oh, please don't recognize us, please don't recognize us, uh, are the ones that are going to get hit really hard. So it's this, uh, at some point, stations, um, if they were not integrated into the campus, at some point they had to make this sort of jump of, are we going to stand up and wave our arms and say we're valuable here and have no backing? Or are you a station that students when they see your name turn around and go of course they can't leave i'm going to put money out and try to support and save them and it's interesting because this question around defunding or funding has always been in place there has always been referendums at universities to fund or to defund so of this the 17 stations that we're talking about that are possibly looking at defunding um, two of them already lost their funding and they were oh. lost by democratic process of huh. the state of the students what schools saying, are those uh, one is it st catherine's in brock cfbu and the other one was waterloo ckms and both of those had f defunding campaigns which the student body as a majority decided that they were not willing to fund these stations. All the other stations have these funding, uh, these uh, referendums put into place and based on their local requirements have passed those amounts. So the students have said at a majority mm. um, that or whatever that threshold was that they want to continue to fund. So therefore they're mandatory. Now, instead of being majority, it's individual decisions. And, and can I ask you, uh, those two stations you just mentioned that were defunded in Brock and CKMS, um, uh, do they still exist? W w uh, did that, was that death knell for them? 
They are as small as you can think they would be. Okay. Uh, okay. One station, uh, CKMS, relocated off campus because their their campus essentially said, we don't want you go away. Their license is currently at a campus license, but that's just because the renewal hasn't come up and they'll shift to a community license. They have pretty much no involvement with students and they operate out of a small factory that's refurbished with, you know, 20 volunteers and it's maybe not not the best of in broadcast environment. Um, the other radio station is still located quite close to campus. They are running on one staff person who is paid part-time but works for the equivalent of two staff um, and volunteers for the rest of the upkeep of the entire station. Uh, so again, just bare minimums in order to be able to operate going forward whereas other stations that we're looking at that are receiving funding do have funding for upwards of uh four five six hundred thousand dollars five six staff volunteers of two to three hundred volunteers within the sector um, and programmers of over 120 or 150 in some locations of individual shows that are being are being produced. So there is a big discrepancy in all those areas. That's a huge amount of money that you can potentially bring in through these student fees. So uh, that is pretty radical, pretty radical difference. Uh, Barry Rook, you're the executive director of the National Campus and Community Radio Association in Canada. And we're talking about, you know, campus community radio, uh, which is sort of a little different than how we usually consider both college and community radio in the United States and in other countries. And, you know, we were discussing how there's this sort of difference in how stations run and that these campus stations in Canada are separate nonprofits. They're not owned by universities, but they're aligned with the university and student fees that students paid at colleges and universities go to these stations. And you sort of outlined how some stations have more student involvement, some have less student involvement, some are really big community stations, and some are a little different. Yeah, I mean, you, Barry, you just told us a story that I just wanted to underline. I'll let Paul finish asking his question. But like the idea that a campus community could engage in a democratic process to either affirm its relationship with the community radio station or, or reject it. Um, while it's very sad to us here at Radio Survivor, perhaps, that in these cases, in these two cases you described, those campuses, uh, those communities rejected their stations, I'm still just amazed that even the question could be posed. It's such a unique way to think about radio mm -hmm. to allow a community to, to vote on it, to say, I will fund it or I won't fund it, as opposed to um, uh, the state that we have community radio in, in the United States uh, or college radio sometimes where it's uh, you, you take to the airwaves and you demand listeners vote with their with their uh, credit card, you know, calling in pledges. It's it's, it's just a, another way to to make radio. And so I wanted to I wanted to emphasize that point. Well, well, and you mentioned that sort of the lack of campus involvement was at least maybe a factor in a couple of stations that were defunded by by the students by Democratic vote. And so I wondered if you can hazard a guess, not just looking at Ontario, but sort of looking at, at your member stations across Canada. You know. How many have more student involvement? Like, how common is it for there to be a strong student presence uh, within the station volunteers or staff as compared to those that might be really, you know, community stations that have a bare minimum of, of student involvement? What's, what's the breakdown there? Uh, it tends to go by length of time in which the university state or the, the campus station has been operating hmm. um, and sort of access with regards to other possibilities for broadcast. So stations that are um, have a corresponding community station within the community um, often are more student programmed uh, stations who are designed as instructional stations are very much uh, student-oriented and there's very little involvement from communities on the outside. They're learning platforms. Uh, universities or colleges that are isolated from the rest of the community are often very student-focused and those that are operating um, as an internet-only station or as a club are very rarely um, 
community focused. They're very much the campus side of things. And, and those are, are tend to be run by students um, as opposed to full paid staff. They are uh, rotational positions that are, you know, opted out and, and supported by the university or the college themselves to, to pay for uh, a work term placement or, or that type of thing as well. So it really does vary. And that's really quite the unique uh, environment of the the province within or the country within our association we have 109 radio stations across the board and if you were to try to classify them you'd find yourself looking at approximately 17 different types of radio <laughs> depending yeah. on where they are and how they fit in size location it's people like, it's like being like a like a 18th century uh, naturalist you know in you know trying to classify all of the different or, genus and species that's and right kingdoms and if, but i like that idea if you were to hazard a guess um could you say what percentage have sort of majority student involvement you in, know sort of where the staff or or at least the air staff are sort of majority students in these campus radio stations yeah. in canada yeah, uh, in Canada, I would say it's probably 60, 40 um, on the, the the student side of things as opposed to the community side. Um, on the other side of it, probably about 10% are instructional and 30% are more community operating on a campus. And this is interesting, too, because in the United States, we don't have a dissimilar situation. I just think um, if we posed that question to Jennifer Waits, it would be unfair. Like, what percentage of college radio stations I in the United States? I could not answer States? that question. Yeah. yeah and, and what's interesting is I don't think anybody could, right? I mean, no one in the United States could answer that question of what, what amount of college radio stations here uh, have community members, non-students, contributing well it's because they the don't station. have their own license yeah they, see you know in, in the united states low power you know college community uh, religious stations uh public radio stations are all in the same license category these non-commercial the federal communications commission does not distinguish does not categorize and doesn't keep records of these sorts of things and in some cases, a what we call a public radio station that airs national public radio broadcasting might actually be owned by a, a university licensee right. or a religious station may be owned by a, a private college that, that has that, that is Christian. And so... There, yes, we, it would be like a graduate school project yes. to go yeah. through and investigate each station. And plus all the unlicensed stations, like Barry Rook has mentioned, you know, there are a lot of college or campus stations that don't have a license that because are online they're online. Only. They're online yeah yeah well so you have to really be a detective to yeah. answer that question which which isn't which is which is a, a part of the work here at radio survivor that we've been doing on this radio program for a while sort of just like wrapping our heads collectively around what is what are these radio stations in the world but also in the united states why do we care about them how how are they what, how are they being run? Why do we like them? <laughs> you know, and a lot of times we've come up with some answers, at least uh, among our very small communities. So we care about college radio stations, um, especially when, when there's a lot of student involvement, when new, when new students are allowed to come to campus to be able to engage in the, in the art of making radio in a community and, and having that opportunity, having that door that's open to them is a is 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 a is unique value that um isn't always a, a given on a campus one year to the next uh, we've seen radio stations in the united states that were lost to call to campus communities and uh, we're also we're talking about it today on radio survivor because something similar is happening in canada but because canada has a whole different way of keeping these stations on the air it's very unique Mm -hmm. to to Canadian politics. I will point out that these referendums do come up from time to time in the United States and, and I individual colleges or universities you mean where 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 the yeah. students vote on whether or not to continue funding of exactly. a particular station. Yeah. And it's it doesn't I haven't seen it happen across an entire state, but it it happens maybe on a particular campus where there's a referendum in place that will drastically reduce funding to a college radio station. So this this story is very relevant to 
a lot of station to stations in the United States too, because this is the type of thing. If your radio station is dependent on student fees, that could potentially go away. You might find yourself in a similar situation where you have to argue for why students should opt in to help fund campus media. So I'm I'm glad we're having this conversation because it 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 definitely applies to stations across the border here as well. Yeah, I mean it, it's one of the themes on Radio Survivor, especially when we talk about college radio over the years, has been that it's important for these stations to to make the case for their value to their communities uh, prior to the emergencies. Well, that's that's just a question I wanted to put to you, Barry Rook. Um, you know, since you're there in a capacity in which you're working directly with uh, campus and community stations across Canada, you have the, you so you have this uh, kind of bird's eye view that most people working at individual stations don't have, and you have extensive experience in in campus radio there in Canada, and you seem to allude earlier in our conversation towards having some advice to stations to enhancing their campus presence. Is that, did, did you mean to make that illusion or was I picking up something that you didn't mean to say? No, and, and, and we find that those that focus mostly on the community that they serve, whether it's campus or the, the small rural community that they're, that they're in place with, or when it's in a, a, a hyper-local community in a metropolitan, that the stations that are most focused with what the listeners are looking for are obviously the ones that are going to be more successful. And we find that the ones that are looking at integrating into the systems in something that's a little bit more structured are the ones that are a little bit more successful. So when a question of referendum would come up, uh, the, the, the backing of the station and its listeners comes out in full force. And that's what our hope is uh, with, a, with a petition that's going around. And we're seeing that the stations that do have that support, that do have that organizations are now getting press coverage at the provincial or the national level, along with local coverage. Um, I was just on our national broadcaster uh, recording yesterday to speak about this this issue. Um, we're starting to see musicians now getting involved in the discussion, specifically related to the fact that campus media and community media is often still a very valuable output for people to be able to hear content, especially with the fact that the license asks for alternative uh, sounds, alternative voices on the air. And our network has uh, upwards of 65 languages that are spoken on it across the country. So these are often places that foster the only type of communication um, outside of interpersonal communication from different multicultural communities. And what kind of advice do you give to campus stations in particular uh, in ways in which they might be able to enhance their connection to that student community that and that university community? Uh, there, there's a couple things. One is that uh, the university does still have a handful of pull in what they do. And if they like you, uh, they will support you. So some stations don't pay rent. Some stations don't pay uh, for their uh, human resources and all of that. And staff are actually integrated just as if they were paid um, employees at the university. So get all the benefits of being on campus, like athletic uh, um, access, parking, all that kind of stuff. Um, the second is that there's often an integration when it comes to things like athletics. Um, there's often a really strong integration when it comes to academic in the sense of uh, stations uh, connecting with professors where instead of writing an essay, you produce a documentary or sort of those types of, of crossovers. And so how do, how do stations foment this, though? So I'm sort of asking the question of, yeah. you know, I've got a campus station and I'm worried about you know, the students at large either, you know, deciding by referenda they no longer want to fund the operation or in, with this coming change to the rules in Ontario, deciding in their little checkbox to not check my station. What kind of advice do you give to these stations to to really in, to to themselves enhance that connection rather than sort of relying on the university to, to, to come forward and, and make that connection stronger what can the stations themselves do to 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 forge that connection enhance it and make and make it clearer to those who benefit uh don't be in the station 
And I know that's a weird sort of, of response and answer to it, but uh, the more time staff and volunteers spend in the station, the less time they're being seen by people. Oh, so you and mean don't don't cloister yourself? Don't don't close yourself in. You need to be in front of students. If you're hosting events, if you're integrating with the the broadcast, the live to airs, if you're um, offering to provi provide services for the universities or the colleges um, when it comes to recording of events or participating or outreach, these are the type of things that that type of integration where okay I the first thought is I hear that station's name or I see them and they're, they're everywhere. And that's a mentality taken from the commercial radio where mm -hmm. uh, you got to be out of the station in order to be seen for people to look for you on the dial. Well, if you're out and about doing all those other services um, outside of what just radio is, um, then your name is all over over the place and when it becomes who are you it's not who are you it's how important you are and students and faculty and the community themselves recognize of that importance and, what and about do, you, do folks on campus administrators and other students are they do they are they going to have sway when it comes to fighting this initiative i'm curious if you could have your university president go to bat and speak out against you know the referendum is that something that that people are working on some stations uh do have a good interaction and work with their their administration and their administration is doing the best that they can to help they don't have as much information as well so the one of the big challenges with the announcements here i think is a lot of what you're seeing at the national level when it comes down for for knowledge uh, and information and changes in the system is that a statement is made and there's no plan of action to follow so we don't know if this what we've been told is an opt-out is actually an opt-out or an opt-in we don't uh. know if it's going to be administered by the university, if they have any hmm. say in this, hmm. could the university say, uh, "Here is uh, here is uh, one service that's being offered. You need to read these seven paragraphs and then click a box to say yes or no." And that box is already clicked yes, and you have to do this for fifty services. And if you're a student, are you going to spend thirty minutes going through reading everything? Or is it like a terms is, of service for, uh, <laughs> for, yeah, for right. every service you sign up for? Well, and what, or, what you're describing, Barry, is you don't know yet how it's yeah. going to be implemented. Yes, right. it's all very murky. Yeah, and, and we don't know if the universities have that authority to do it or if they're being mandated from top down mm -hmm. um, because some have said, uh, to their their association to their their campuses uh, services that have been deemed as non-essential we have nothing we can do about this um, when they tell us what format this is you're on your own good luck sorry right and that's that working relationship with the university yeah so that it makes sense that at this point you need to just be focusing on explaining why it is an essential service why campus media is important and then when you find out more details, then you can attack it in a number of different ways. If we ever get details. <laughs> so I've got maybe what, what might be a loaded question, so I apologize up front for this, but I'm thinking about the campus station where the majority of volunteers, the majority of air staff are not students. Yeah, and this, I, I should say, uh, that might be a really, really great radio station from the standpoint yeah, of the yeah, listener community, right. but if it has, uh, it might have no Right. No young people from the campus or, or involved. very few. Yeah. yeah. And, and sort of you, you gave the advice that, you know, having presence, being out and about on, on, on campus is an important aspect to proving your value. And I'm wondering, what is that dynamic when when the station, you know, when, when the when the average volunteer might be 37 years old, um, you know, and 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 on as a group don't look like. Uh, you know the, the campus community in or a don't lot of even ways. necessarily listen to the same music right yeah. don't listen to the same music you know where there's this kind of you know cultural divide at the very least between uh the station staff and the campus that supports them how did how did how does the station bridge that divide well, well, the spectrum runs both angles, all the way from, again, they are hiding and hoping nobody will realize that they're there and in 
impersonating a campus station and kick them off to uh, they actually receive most of their funding from the community from advertising and yes there's a potential for loss of funds from students but it's not going to be as large of an impact and the campus still sees them as a as a right. valuable place it's it's somewhere in between mm -hmm. and there's examples of both on all all angles and it really depends on on a case-by-case -case basis so what you're talking about here, and it's, it, it, it sort of syncs up with a lot of advice that we've given here on Radio Survivor, is that it's very important for a, a community or college or campus radio station to continually renew its commitment to its community in a variety of ways. And in part because that can come back, right? It comes back in, in the form of listenership. It comes back in the form of support. And, and it's hard to volunteer help if you need more. Exactly. Yeah, someday you might need to renew the staff. Or in-kind help, right? And, and it's hard to make blanket recommendations because uh, the the station that is in Toronto has a very different sort of relationship uh, to its community than one in a much more rural community, which is the same thing we, we often see here uh, south of the border. Um, but that it seems like the the overall kind of uh, the the overall principle here is you know 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 who your constituency is, and that and then it can be broad and and to some extent. Uh, also, maybe know who your constituency should be. So if you are those 40-something uh, volunteers hiding out in the basement of a student center somewhere, hoping no one notices you're there so that they don't take away your funding, it's time to have that coming out party and realize that your constituency are those students who are upstairs and need to know about what you are and who you are. And also, it seems to me, and, and please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, Barry, maybe also it's time to open the doors a little wider and to send out the invites and perhaps engage and, and give uh, re-establish re the invitation for students to be involved. It seems to me that that is also uh, a very useful kind of, of tendril. Is that, would, would you give that kind of advice? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, pretty much dead on that for those types of stations on campuses. And you see it happen the other way with the stations that are not on campus. They are the ones that are outreaching to other groups, um, trying to bring campuses, trying to bring students on high school, college, uh, seniors groups, youth groups. They're the ones that recognize that there is still that gap in the community because they've done their analysis and are trying to bring more people into what they offer for the whole the whole community. It's, it's interesting because um, we're actually getting now to the point where long-term strategic planning is almost impossible to do at these stations where we've always been a proponent of strategic planning assessing the organization assessing the environment as opposed to flying by the seat of their pants which a lot of organizations especially not-for-profit do um, but we're now finding that it's uh, instead of those five or ten year plans all you can really make is what's coming up for the next year because the environment changes so much. Especially but the funding environment? Is, is that, especially the funding yeah. environment, especially the interest. People are coming on to these campuses and saying, you do radio, fantastic. I don't want to learn radio. I want to learn how to host an event. I want to learn how to be better at social media. I want a podcast. I have no interest whatsoever in going on FM or AM radio, but I have other things that the station provides that is a benefit to me, and I'm willing to then pay for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So what you're, what, it's, again, a, a, a similar to a conversation we've been having here at Radio Survivor over the years, which is you know, radio as a platform. A station is, is valuable uh, in many ways, uh, one of them is, of course, its signal on the FM or AM dial, but other ways are, in fact, that people look to it as a community presence, as a community establishment. I mean, it, and, and, it's and also it has, like it's also so important if you are a student or a community member who cares about any issue at all that exists, the, you, could, you, sh you should be able to see your radio station as a place where that issue can be aired and discussed yeah. and promoted. So... Anybody who cares about anything can also care about radio because that's, that's when radio is functioning well, that's what it does best. And I think, you know, ever since the beginning of college radio, students are drawn to stations for a variety of reasons. And, and radio may not have always been the forefront of why somebody is drawn to a station. Just 
from my own personal experience, I joined my college radio station less because it was a radio station and more because it was a site for exciting music and being around people who were interested in music. And I think that's probably the motivation for a lot of people who, frankly, are kind of afraid to even be on the air. So, um, you know, what draws somebody to a station, I think, has always been more than radio. Absolutely. And Barry Rook, your executive director for the National Campus and Community Radio Association in Canada. And you mentioned podcasts. You're here on our podcast and radio show. And you've started a podcast as well called Dead Air with a Difference. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about why you started a podcast for the NCRA and, and, and what is what are the kind of things that you tackle there? I think it was uh, inspired a lot by what you do and what your your plan of action is and that there's there's a lot of information that I have access to or stories that can be told that I think people in the industry could benefit from. So having this type of discussion that we're having now, we've had this discussion on the air with other people for our members so that they understand. Uh, the, the issues in Ontario are impacting 20 stations, but I have 109 under our association. How do we get that information to the other stations when it comes to uh, other types of support, awareness, planning down the road? So the reason why we put the industry podcast in place was specifically for that target. And it was part of a communications tool and platform. We have our newsletters, we have our website, we have our internal mailing lists, all of that provide news and information for what we're doing. Um, and this is just one of those other platforms that I can take a little bit more extensive, in-depth look at something that maybe others haven't explored or I think should be further explored or even repurpose very interesting news or information that comes out from other sources like training and development. Mm -hmm. And you're about 10 episodes in now, is that correct? Yeah, we're doing our first season. We've got a little bit of support funding wise from our national funding body to, to help with this, both uh, time uh, and some, uh, some equipment to be able to do so. We'll do some assessment uh, at the end of our first 15 uh, episode season, if we'll continue on or not. Um, obviously, it's a, a cost analysis and a time analysis when my time could also be used for other things. Um, but it is, uh, we found that so far it's been very beneficial and very positive in responses with people saying, oh, I didn't know that, I didn't have that idea, this helps me better understand what others are thinking. And I feel as though education is by far the biggest thing that we as an association provide to our members and provide to the staff and the volunteers of members in making better radio across the country. And I want to ask you about the audience. I mean, and in part, it's self-interested because I think we often are trying to figure out our audience here with Radio Survivor and, and, and how and whom we are reaching. And I wonder, do, do, you, do you think that your audience are like station staff, professional staff, managers, program directors, or do you expect that there are folks who are you know, programmers who may just do, do a single show or, or even, you know, folks who are kind of radio nerds who are listening? Do you, do you, have you figured that out or, or, or who do you have even in your mind as your audience? Our goal is the staff and the management of stations. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that I think that this is directed towards. Uh, the radio nerds, the programmers will also get some information out of what we're doing here and, and hopefully find interest. We highly encourage radio stations not to put this on the air. There's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no formatting of that process. A lot of stations here uh, reformat podcasts uh, to go on the air or the other way around. Um, we've even launched our own podcasting network and we're toying with the idea of a not-for-profit podcasting association because we have all of these uh, resources available for radio stations which could very, very easily be adapted to the individual podcaster. And we see that there's opportunities uh, that 
we can expand on what we offer, but also utilize better some of the, the services we already have in place. So it's a, it's, a, it's a step into it. I've had experience in podcast and radio for 20 years now and, and run a handful of different ways. So it's just really sort of another step to try to reach out and target that main majority. But the, the other side of things, hopefully it helps with as well. Barry Rook, Executive Director of the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Thank you so much for joining us on Radio Survivor to talk about this issue impacting uh, campus radio there in Canada. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Boy, it was great uh, to learn all of that about uh, campus and community radio in Canada. Thanks again to Barry Rook. And I wanted to point out that you can hear Radio Survivor on the radio. We have one Canadian affiliate. We'd love to sign up more. Um, It is CJUM at 101.5 FM in Winnipeg. And they broadcast the show Wednesdays at 8 a.m., Central Time. And I also want to welcome another new affiliate to the show coming out of South Philadelphia Community Radio, WOOMLP at 92.9 FM. So if you're on the south side of Philadelphia, you can hear Radio Survivor Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Of course, uh, the show, you may be listening to us as a podcast. We're available in Apple Podcasts, in Stitcher, on Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can listen to a podcast. Um, And you can listen in your browser. And then we are on 20 FM stations around North America. If you're at a radio station and you're thinking, our listeners would like to hear Radio Survivor. We want to spread the love of radio in all of its... uh Myriad forms, so much more radio than just uh, commercial and non-commercial in the world. And that's what we here at Radio Survivor try to celebrate every week. Exactly. And we think that when listeners understand more about radio and about community radio in particular, it causes them to to value their local stations all the more. And so- understand more about the... like. The work that went in to making the ground fertile enough for that station to exist and also the work that needs to go in to, to keep these stations uh, strong and healthy in, into the future. So if you would like to sign up your radio station, learn more at radiosurvivor.com slash radio. I think another thing we do that I'm really proud of at Radio Survivor is we also uh, we sort of spread the news that, that radio is more than what you thought it was the last time you put your ears in it. And uh, I'm always really excited about that. When we talk about transmission arts or, um, you know, even when we talk about unlicensed radio and how it's being put to use by different communities, I think it just sort of, you know, uh, we have made a mistake in this culture where radio means one thing to many people. And I think I think the, the most exciting thing that goes on on our show is when we broaden the definition of radio. Exactly. And and formats maybe that people aren't as familiar with, like radio drama, that that's alive and well across many different types of stations all and over podcasts. the world and podcasts. Absolutely. So, so there, yeah, non, non-narrative radio, experimental radio, yeah. radio being done by middle schoolers. That's what keeps me excited is all of the kind of lesser known types of radio that are happening every day. And you can learn so much more about all of this. We're continuing to explore, but you can learn more at radiosurvivor.com. And the history. If we forgot about history, that's the fourth history, the fourth leg of the table and the future. The history of radio is just as fascinating as the future of radio. And it's, it's also just as murky sometimes. So the more we learn, the, the happier I get. And we do all of this supported by listeners just like you who contribute to our campaign at Patreon at patreon.com slash radio survivor. And right now we're striving to do some work we think is really needed and needed right now. We're going on to the 20th anniversary for the creation of indie media that happened at the Battle of Seattle in Seattle, Washington, November 30th, when there was massive protests against globalization and the World Trade Organization. And what sprung out of that was this vibrant movement of independent media, which brought together people from radio and public access television, brought together nerds who created one of the first platforms where somebody anywhere 
could instantaneously publish yeah, words, the indie media. pictures, sound, uh, and video it to was, anyone. It was just such a such a special time where the beginning of the internet coincided with uh, with with this particular social justice movement, but also a global justice movement, and. Um, and it really fed into the dawn of low power FM right. just yeah. one year later. In, there was in in two thousand a lot of cross pollinization between these communities and uh, overlapping passions. Where where the the people that made indie media in the nineties were were a lot of the same people that made these low power FM radio stations, which came into existence in two thousand and three or twenty thirteen. Uh, the the seeds were planted, the ideas were grown and nurtured in this 90s indie media movement. Exactly. And it's an anniversary that uh, I'm afraid will be will, will go unheralded because... Uh, if not Radio Survivor, then who? If not Radio Survivor, then who? But it's not just heralding it. There's a deep history here. And, we, and, and, and untangling how people came together to create what were and continue to be new media platforms. And one might even argue that something, uh, that podcasting, that uh, that YouTube, that something like Twitter depends upon that development. And I know for a fact there are people involved in indie media who went on to work at Odeo and Twitter. The tendrils are there, even if they ultimately had a, had a fresh, uh, more capitalistic <laughs> expression. Even if we're sad now about 20 how, years later, how it's being put to use by certain parties. The idea that the Internet could be put to use and was put to use that people built open source free technologies to uh instantaneously publish audio video photos online when at a time when you couldn't even get a low power fm license uh this is a history that is being begged to be told and recorded and that's something we want to do that's our run up to ask you to help us do that to do that we want to reach 100 supporters on patreon by july that means that we have some money to help us do this, that we can count on that money continuing to come in, and that we have sort of an on-ramp to start that work and have some of it ready for that big November 30th uh, uh, anniversary of Indie Media going through into, 2000, into uh, 2020, which brings the 20th anniversary of Low Power FM. Yeah, so in, go case, in case people aren't familiar with Patreon... Uh, and how it works it's it's a it's a fundraising it's a fundraising platform. device and and we have uh there's different tiers yeah and so uh you you can donate beginning at a dollar a month but if you can spare more it will certainly help us more and we actually have a bonus episodes we put up different bonus content that we share exclusively with the people who uh who support us on Patreon it's a lot of our some of our deeper Radio nerd content yeah. from the show but goes it would, on to Patreon. It would not hurt at all if it was a hundred people giving one dollar no, uh, a month. Absolutely. It would be it would be quite um it would be quite people, something. But if you can give two fifty, if you can give yeah. five, um, and we're developing some special rewards that will re, that we'll be able to talk about more soon. Yeah. But right now, uh, one reward is that you can receive postcards from Jennifer's Travels. It's true. And I'm yes. going to say another award, and I'm, I'm fairly certain I can go out on a limb and say this before I've run it past my compatriots here at Radio Survivor, is just that when you're one of the people that support us on Patreon at this stage, um, we're going to be uh, available to listen to you mm-hmm. for other ideas, for other rewards. If, if you want to become a part of this community experience and, and you know, help us give, give us this, this leg up on the work that we're already doing, but that we want to... Uh, do so much more of uh that's going to be a good channel yeah and this year we sent ears. out some new year's postcards to welcome uh and say thank you to everyone who supports us we'll have more of those in the future there's also some ready to print uh pdf postcards you get access to uh, uh with jennifer's lovely photography from college stations that she's visited around the country we're going to be adding to that set too is things that you get um but we know mostly you're doing it to help support us but we do like to say thank you so go to radio go to radiosurvivor.com slash support or go to patreon.com slash radio survivor to help us out and reach this goal of 100 supporters by july on today's episode where we spoke with barry rook uh there in canada the um the conclusion of our radio interview we sort of went down into um you know what's fun about when, as soon as the radio show is over, the radio show is 59 minutes long and we, we give it out to stations for free. And 
and then uh, and the audience for that are, are radio listeners. So we we need to keep things um, available to them so that we're not going down deep uh, blind alleys that might not be useful. But then just for the internet audience, just for the Patreon audience, that we do have the opportunity to sort of go deep into the weeds. And uh, we, at the conclusion of today's episode, Barry was able to share with us just basically what amounts to uh, five different ideas for very good episodes of Radio Survivor in the future. If we can find the the guests to talk to them, and Barry gave us a few tips about who those people are. Hundreds of unlicensed radio it, stations? It turns out that in Canada, because of their relationship with the First Nations people, there's an entirely unique to Canada structure for how radio would be licensed so much so that not licensed. yes you might call it pirate radio because that's our experience in the united states it's pirate radio but for these first nations people it's it's their radio station so it's much their to nation learn about and so if we're it's we're, their you know, airwaves they, it's yeah. their airwaves they play bingo guys they play bingo if you want to learn more about playing bingo on the radio uh that's what's on today's uh patreon only uh content that that we give to our subscribers for the for a benef- for the benefit of uh, exchanging a dollar a month with us. Go to patreon.com/radiosurvivor. Radio Survivor is a reader and listener supported enterprise. To learn more about how our listeners and readers help us continue to do what we do, please go to radiosurvivor.com/support. We, of course, want to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about anything you heard about on today's show about Canadian radio, Canadian campus and community radio. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And of course, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast in whatever app you like to listen to your podcast in. It is always free to subscribe to the Radio Survivor podcast. Yes, indeed. It's here uh, for everyone. And uh, we really appreciate that you take an hour out of your week to listen. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us this week. Happy to talk about college radio around the world. Yeah, always a pleasure uh, to, to cover a new college radio community here on Radio Survivor. Thank you. See you next week, everybody.